0: I not you join with me in prayer. Lord, you are the one that we praise this morning, the one that we adore. Lord, whatever is on our mind or our heart, whatever we come with this morning, the troubles that we face and the situations that we'll have to deal with when we leave, God, we, we thank you that you are sufficient, that you are enough, you are all-powerful and all-wise, and you can handle each one. So, God, this morning as we turn to your word, we pray that you would open it to us, pour it into our hearts and our minds and our lives, and change us with it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know this morning that I am extremely uh, proud of myself. Uh, Last night I, I put together a basketball goal. For those who know that I know nothing about putting things together, you'll understand why I'm so proud of myself this morning. Not only did I put together a basketball goal, but I did it with instructions that had no words and only pictures. Yeah, exactly. Some of you can relate. Some wouldn't even need the pictures, but uh, we're not talking about those folks this morning. But I put together this thing, my dad helped me a little bit, and, and we put the thing together and many times I thought, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure if I'm doing this the right way. I had to start over it a couple of times and undo a few things and look at it and say I don't think that matches up with the picture, but I had the box and I knew eventually what it was supposed to look like, you know, and, and I have an idea of what a basketball goal should look like and that helped me a little bit. But. But I'm extremely proud this morning because I worked through all of that, and uh, it was quite an accomplishment. But there were times when the instructions, needless to say, were a little vague. Trying to look at the picture and then look at what I have, and it just didn't match up at times. You know, everybody's done something like that. You you have put things together, whether it's Christmas toys or basketball goals or whatever in the world it is, and you wish that you had better instructions. (laughs) You wish they weren't in French only. And uh, maybe you wish they had words instead of just pictures. And, and maybe you wish you could call the person who actually manufactured the thing, not just customer service, when they say, well, just look at the picture. You wish you could call the person who actually designed it and see how, how is this supposed to fit together. Maybe you feel like you've overcome the instructions. You, you put it together in spite of what you had. And, and many of us uh, have done that. I really believe that in a, in a crowd this size uh, and of, of this variety of people of different stages of life and backgrounds and so on, there are probably many people who can relate not only to putting something together like that and being frustrated with the instructions, but there are many who are probably frustrated about the instructions that you're following in life. Maybe you sort of have a picture of what life should be. At least you think that it should be like this, but you can't get your life to match what you think the picture ought to look like. It's, it's a little fuzzy. Maybe the instructions that you're following aren't as clear as you'd like them to be. You have just all pictures and no words, or you have words seemingly in French, and you're not sure exactly how to follow them. Others, maybe you're taking that, that kind of old school, that man approach. I'll just figure it out. We, you know, we'll get there. Just trust me. I'll figure it out as we go. I'll make this up along. The, some of you are taking that approach this morning, and and uh, and I'm not sure how that's working for you. But but I don't think that either approach, either being frustrated by the instructions that you're following, not being totally clear, or just making it up as you go. I don't think either one of those approaches is necessary, and and I don't think either one is good. This sermon this morning is for a couple of different groups of people. I've been told that if you try to preach to everybody, you'll preach to nobody. So I've got a couple of groups of people in mind. How about that? I'm going to try to hit some targets this morning. One group of people... Now, all of you are nervous now, aren't you? I love it. I love it. Gotcha. Everybody's going to pay attention, at least for another couple of minutes. One group of people that I, I want to target this morning are those who are not in any way engaging with, reading, studying, uh, learning about the Scripture at all, the Bible. Uh, that's one group of people. I would, I would venture to say uh, that, again, in a crowd that's diverse in age and stage of life and background and so on, we've got folks here today who probably have not engaged with the Scripture in some time, maybe never. And so I want you to know that, that I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to, to thump you over the head with the Bible for not reading the Bible. That's not my purpose, but I want you to know this sermon is at least in part for you. I, I want you to, to, to pay attention. The other group that I'm targeting this morning is the, the group of folks who maybe you are interacting with the Bible on a regular basis, but it's a little stale. And you say, I, I, I do this, I don't, I don't really, I don't know how, I don't understand what I'm reading, the instructions seem to be a little fuzzy or in a completely different language. I, maybe that's you. I think we could probably say that the majority of us fit in one of those two categories this morning. If you're the person who gets up every morning and you spend eight hours a day with the Lord memorizing the book of Leviticus, then I probably don't have a whole lot for you this morning. I'll just tell you that. You are so far above everybody else that you just don't even need this sermon. But maybe that's not you, and maybe you are a little more normal. And, uh, and you say, you know what, I, I'm not engaging with the scripture right now. I, I don't, I, I'm not reading it. I'm not learning anything. I, or I, I try, but it, it's just stale. It's just nothing there, it seems. So that's who this sermon is for. This whole series that we're in called Rooted in God's Word is meant, uh, as I've told you before, to help us individually and collectively become rooted in God's Word to the point that we're nurtured we're fed, we're grown by it, to produce the fruit that's commanded by it for the honor and by the grace of the one who wrote it. And that's our whole goal with this series. So my, my, my overarching idea has been to help us understand what is the Bible, and we've looked at that the last three weeks. The Bible is God's word. We saw that it's inspired, that it comes from God. We saw that it is without error, that it's reliable. And last week we saw that it has authority, God's word is the final word. That's what the Bible is. The next question that I'm hoping to answer in this series is, why do I need it? Okay, I understand what it is. Now, why do I need that in my life? That's what <clears throat> excuse me, I hope to answer this morning for you. What, why do I need it? And then after this morning, the next few weeks, what we'll look at is, how can I get it into my life? So we're going to look, as I've told you before, we're going to look at, at some general guidelines on how can you study the Bible, we're going to look I'm going to preach a sermon on how to listen to a sermon. So I expect y'all there that Sunday. Now, I I I'm going to, I think it's important to when you're hearing the word of God, whether it's from a sermon or a teaching, how do you how should you engage with that? We'll also we'll look at uh, at our attitude towards scripture. How should we what attitude should we take when we're learning about the scripture? And so, so anyway, this morning is going to answer the question, why do I need the Bible in my life? We've seen what it is, and if you haven't been here for those, I encourage you Go on our website or grab a CD and listen to those sermons. Uh, but this morning, why do I need the Bible in my life? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, there, there are three or four verses that have really formed for us a focus over uh, this series. And I want to give us this morning, not only those verses, but a little bit of contextual information that will help us, I think, understand why is, is what we have what we have. A guy named Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul, who was the first and greatest Christian missionary that the world has ever known. And he uh, made it his point to go around and to establish churches in various cities so that the gospel could be spread and other folks could come to know the Lord. And when he did, he would take people along with him who, in some cases, he would empower to then lead various churches in these areas that he would start. Now, there's a young man named Timothy who went along with Paul and was left in charge of churches to pastor them and so on. And Paul, because he wanted Timothy to understand how do you do this, how do you be a pastor, he wrote him a couple of letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy as we know them. In his letters, Paul's giving him some very specific and very quick instruction on what he must be about if he's going to be an effective pastor. Now, this is written from a pastor to a pastor, but I want you to know that it has application universally to all Christians. It's not just for the pastor. Because what's good for the pastor is good for the congregation. And so if 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 the pastor is to receive this and need this, then certainly we all as well could use this. So here's what he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look with me beginning in verse 1. But know this difficult times will come in the last days. Paul here is writing about it when. You know, as the last days, and I'll just give you what I believe about that, the last days being from the time that Jesus came until whenever he comes back. That includes all of that time period, the last days, could be any time. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, Without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of religion but denying its power. If you read the newspaper this week, you could have just read all of that right there. You see how the last days are from the time that Jesus came to the time he's coming back. As as much as it pains us to know, we're not living necessarily in a unique time. We're living in a time of the last days when Jesus could return at any moment. But the world has been experiencing the same things by and large since Jesus came. As I said, this could be the headlines for the paper. Boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. None of our children here, of course. Ungrateful, unholy, irreconcilable, without self-control. Certainly nobody you read about in the newspaper or online mimics those traits. Now, what I find very interesting is verse 5 holding to the form of religion, but denying its power. Do you realize that this isn't just outside the church Paul's talking about? He's talking about religious people are doing these things. He's talking about inside the church these things are going on. He says, Timothy, as a pastor, as a Christian leader, you're not only going to face stuff from outside the church, but guess what? Inside the church, you're going to have people who appear to be followers of Christ hold to a form of religion but deny its power. They really don't know the Lord. Interesting. So inside and outside the church, Timothy's going to face all of this stuff. And then he gives some examples. Look at verse 6. For among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women burdened down with sins, led led along by a variety of passions, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth men who are corrupt in mind, worthless in regard to the faith. They will not make further progress, for their lack of understanding will be clear to all, as theirs was also. He gives some examples here. I think we can relate. In our society today, you have people who resist the truth. I've said it to you before that in our society, no one is wrong until you say someone is wrong, and then you're wrong, which makes no sense to me, because how... Can everyone be right, except when I say you're wrong, now I'm wrong, and it doesn't make any sense except uh, to go around in circles, and if you're confused by now me talking about that, that's the way our society operates. It's confused. It makes no sense. How can everyone be right? No one be wrong unless you say someone is wrong. We have those who deny the truth. They resist the truth. But it's interesting, it says here in verse 9, they will not make further progress Because their lack of understanding will be clear to all. I honestly believe that at some point, that spiral of society and insanity will collapse upon itself. And I hope that it's not something that all of us get caught up in. But I don't believe that our society in its current trajectory of calling what is right wrong and calling what is wrong right can sustain itself. It can't do it. Eventually, it will be made known to all because the folks that deny the truth of God, their their lack of understanding, rather, will be clear to everyone at some point. So he gives us some examples there. Then he says in verse 10, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Now, Paul's not being arrogant. If you know Paul, then you understand he's, he's just making sure that Timothy comes back to the truth. Along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, he says, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we like to skip over that, don't we? Let's move quickly to verse 13. You realize that the world is not for us? Just just let let me highlight verse 12 for a second. The world is not on our side. Society as a whole is not on the side of the Lord. So when you say that I will be a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't expect to be in the minority. You can expect it. Even in our own country, where we have enjoyed religious freedom for hundreds of years, expect to be in the minority. Take it for what it's worth. Verse 13, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. Boy, isn't that a great picture Paul paints there? Timothy, it's bad now, and it's going to get worse. You think people are bad now, just just wait. They're going to get worse, he says. They'll keep on deceiving each other. They'll keep giving themselves over to this resistance of the truth. They're going to continue to be lovers of self, it says there in verse 2. Lovers of money. They're going to pretend as if they love God, but they're not going to. He says it's going to get worse. Sounds an awful lot like today. Many of you read the headlines and watch the news and you say, all right. It seems like it's getting worse. Maybe it is. What do you do then? What do you do when you watch the news and you see all these headlines? Do you give up? Do you throw in the towel and you? I'm going to crawl into a hole and never come out again and I'll just kind of protect myself and live in isolation and and maybe this world won't touch me? What do you do? Do you just give yourself over to it and say, well, if you can't beat them, join them? It's just... It seems like God's been defeated, so, you know, who cares? Do you get confused and frustrated and immobile? What, how do you respond to that? Timothy facing a very similar kind of world that we face each and every day. Different applications to it, obviously. But very similar in its sinful nature and its godlessness. How then would Paul tell Timothy to respond? It's bad, he says, really bad, and it's going to get worse. What are you supposed to do? Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't tell Timothy to construct some big plan for changing all of society? That he doesn't tell him as a pastor, as a Christian, that you need to go and do this or that. He simply says you've got to start with continuing in what you have learned and have firmly believed. He says, but as for you, you go back to verses 1 through 5, and he describes all the sinful nature of the world, all the stuff that's going on. And he tells Timothy, but as for you, you are to be different. There's to be a clear distinction. The world's going one way, he tells him. You, as a pastor and as a believer, you need to go the other way. There needs to be a clear break. He says then, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe. The word continue means to hold on tight hang on. Don't let go what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. Keep on going. Advance in it. Paul doesn't tell him. It's interesting. He doesn't tell him, just make sure you got your facts straight and you can win a few arguments with those people whose ignorance is going to be made known to all. He doesn't say, just get your facts straight. What does he say? Continue in the commitment that you have made to the life that God has called you to that's evident in the scripture. You must be committed to what you've learned, he says. Others are moving forward, are advancing in their ungodliness. And Paul says to Timothy, you are to continue. You are to move forward in the godliness that you've learned. You and I look around and we see a world filled with people just like in verses 1 through 5. I and mean, that list itself, if you just broke that down and started writing notes about that and all the people that you know and all the stuff you've seen, you'd come up with, with, a, with several pages full of descriptions and people and so on that that mirror that. All of those folks are running toward ungodly lives. Paul says you, on the other hand, are to pursue godliness that you've learned from the scripture. So what do you do in response to the way the world is? You don't throw up your hands. You don't crawl into a hole. You don't give up and figure God has been defeated. You start by simply continuing in what you have learned and have firmly believed and have come to be committed to. That's the starting point. He goes on to say, this is interesting that Paul would throw this in. Look at the next part of verse 14. Knowing those from whom you learned, and then verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures. Knowing those from whom you have learned, and from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures. Timothy's to continue in living out the scripture, not only because the world that he lives in is evil, but, he, but Paul tells him and kind of hints toward the fact that Timothy, not only because of that, but you've got a responsibility to the people who've taught you. You, you've, you owe them something. You owe them to keep going in what you have learned. Now, what's interesting is, is Timothy here has been taught by various people, Paul himself, his grandmother, his, his mother, and others, obviously, the Scripture. And Paul brings out the point that that wasn't just for that time, that mentoring relationship, that that connection you had with them. Paul says you, you've got something that you need to be responsible to them. He's supposed to continue living out the ways that he's been taught because those who have taught him have been faithful, have set an example, and he's got a responsibility to them. It's interesting to see that. Now, I, to me, it highlights a few things that, that are very important for us to know. It, it highlights the need for reliable and godly teachers. I I, want to challenge all of us here who are in a position of leadership or teaching in any way, whether it's children, whether it's adults, whatever it may be. I want to challenge us each to be who God wants us to be and to know what we need to know. I really believe that we are doing ourselves and the people we lead and certainly the Lord in this church a major disservice if we are not prepared as individuals who we should be, and prepared for our roles, what we should do and what we should know. And so I I say with pastoral encouragement, be who you're supposed to be. (coughs) Know what you're supposed to know. If you're a leader and a teacher in this church, then I want to join with you, and let's hold one another accountable, to being the people that we absolutely must be for those that we're leading and for knowing what we absolutely must know. We've got to be prepared. And so each week, my commitment to you is that I will be as prepared as possible to step into the pulpit and deliver to you God's Word. And I hope that as a result, that you as a teacher, as a leader, will be prepared each week as much as possible to teach and deliver the Word of God to those under your care. I think it's important. Paul highlights, there have been people in Timothy's life that have poured into him over and over and over. They knew it. They believed it. They lived it out. I remember when I became a youth pastor at my home church and I, I was obviously given the charge of, of building some people uh, into the ministry there to, to teach and to lead. And The church there, just understand, it was a very large church and, uh, and so in, in the high school ministry that I was in charge of, uh, we had a class for every grade and gender in high school. So we had ninth grade boys, ninth grade girls and so on. And so I, I needed to fill those positions. And when I first came, there were several, uh, several folks there that uh, they were wonderful people, but uh, they were college students. Now, I love college students. If you're a college student, don't take this the wrong way, But they were really driving the ministry there. And I, it hit me. I thought, you know, if these children and youth are going to grow up and one day look back and say, I remember that person and that person and that person, we've got to get those folks who are going to be there when they grow up to be leading them. And so that's what we did. We used our college students in a variety of ways, but many of them were, were in going to seminary uh, at Southern or boys College or wherever, and they were, going, they were leaving. And so we made it a commitment to say we need these teachers that not only are who they say they are and know what they need to know, but they're going to be there for the long haul. I think it's absolutely vital. And I praise God. I look around this room, and I see those who've taught Sunday school for years. I mean, some of you can say, oh, my goodness, it just makes me feel old. <laughs> to see these kids that have grown up, and now their kids are in there. But what a tremendous blessing for our church to have those folks who for so many years have taught. Our young people, our children, need to be connected with their teachers over a long period of time. And so praise God for those who are committed to do that. And you say, I didn't know I was signing up for life. That's not what I'm talking about. But I praise God that year in and year out, we've got people in this church who just pour into our young people. It highlights that need here when Paul says you've got a responsibility. It highlights the need for reliable teachers. You know, honestly, I really believe this, and this will be a challenge I'll just tell you at the end of the service. I really believe it highlights the need for those of us who have had those teachers to say thanks to them. You you look around maybe this room, and maybe this is the church that you grew up in, and you look around and you say, that person was my Sunday school teacher in third grade. It's been a while. You know, that person helped me when I was a teenager and they led some, some youth Bible studies or whatever they did. Or, you know, I've been in that person's Sunday school class now for 20 years. I really believe that when Paul says you've got to know and understand those through whom you've learned the Scripture, there is an implication for Timothy to appreciate that. I think back on my life, the folks who have poured into me in Scripture, my parents are here this morning, my parents obviously did that for years for me and still do. My youth pastor was a man named Kerry Jones. And Kerry, to this day, is one of the most influential people that I've ever met. He's been influential in my life. There's another man named Doug Pope who was my Sunday school teacher when I was a 12th grader and getting ready to prepare to leave for college. And Doug was instrumental. And I sent him a text message yesterday, and I said, thank you. Thank you for what you did. I appreciate that. There are others I could go down the list, to Keith Inman, who was my campus minister, now the pastor at First Baptist Church, to a guy named Kevin Ham, who was the man who brought me on and gave me my first opportunity to be in ministry, to seminary professors that I've had and, and interacted with. The list goes on and on, and I, and I wonder who it is for you. Who is it that maybe over time has taught you the Scripture and has helped you grow and mature in your faith? Who are those people? You say, well, I haven't been in church very long. That's okay. Maybe God will begin to put people in your life that one day you'll look back and say, man, I'm so thankful for them. And you say, I, well, I, as a teacher, I didn't think I was doing that much. Don't ever underestimate what you're doing by giving young people the Scripture. It highlights our need, I think, to say thanks to those folks and, and also our responsibility to them. I, I really believe that when Paul says, you remember who you've learned from, that he's highlighting this community aspect. you realize that in the Old Testament, in Israel, that what one person did affected everybody? But there were, that, that, that was why that, that sometimes they sent people outside the camp. They, they rendered them unclean for a while because they didn't want them to infect everybody else. You realize that in the New Testament, in the church, there was a community feel, that it wasn't just I and me before the Lord. Certainly that's true, but it was we. It was us. It highlights, I believe, the responsibility that we have to the greater community of believers. Those people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they individually stood before God, but they weren't individualistic. They understood that they both needed and were responsible to one another. I want to challenge this morning, and and again, you, you may find yourself that person who has drifted from the faith that you were taught as a young person. Let me challenge you this morning to return certainly for God's sake and certainly for your own sake, but also out of respect and honor and, I believe, responsibility to those who have taught you. What a shame it is that we would look back and say, all that work and all the time that you put in, I don't care anything about it. I'm going my own way. And you say, that's just a guilt trip. You take it how it needs to be received this morning. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, but there is a responsibility that we have as believers to one another and certainly to those who have led us. Those folks have taught us to know God and to be holy and to love the Scripture. And at least in some part, our lives need to reflect that because of their commitment to us. It's interesting, those those things. The idea here, of course, is that because of the ungodliness of the world around him, Timothy is to continue in what he has learned, but not just to be different from the world. That's, that's part of it. But Paul goes on to highlight what, what benefits there are in addition to that for the Scripture. And I want to focus there for the next few minutes, and then we'll close. Paul is going to teach Timothy what I hope each of us will take away today. The, the great benefit of God's Word, here it is, because the Bible is God's Word, it addresses all of your deepest needs. Because the Bible is God's Word, because it comes from Him, because it's reliable, because it's authoritative, it addresses all of your deepest needs. And we're going to see those things as we move through this. Beginning at the second part here of verse 15, Paul lays these things out. He says, "...the Scripture is profitable..." He says, says, well, look at, uh, yeah, middle of verse, verse 15. He says, knowing that from your childhood, the sacred scriptures, which are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me just start there. The first deepest need that we all have is salvation. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Bible is one big story of God's salvation. It's not just a collection of stories and fairy tales and things we can put on a felt board in Sunday school. It's a collection of stories that form one big story about God's salvation. We see in the Old Testament the perfection of God and the sinfulness of humans. We see humans compared to God's standard in the law, and we see us falling short every single time. And we see God instituting the sacrificial system, and they, they sacrifice animals to show the cost of their sin, that, that a perfect sacrifice must die for their sin. They couldn't die for their own sin because they weren't worthy. So God provided a substitute, a preview of what was to come on the cross. We see those things reiterated in the New Testament, in Romans, where it says that we've all sinned, every single one of us. None of us measure up to God's standard. We've all sinned and fall short, it says, of God's standard. Then we see in Romans chapter 6 that that sin deserves death, period. The payment, the wages, the penalty of sin is death. We see also in that same verse that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's reiterated in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 when the Bible says in one of my favorite verses, while we were still sinners, while we're still in the pit, Jesus demonstrated his love toward us and died. He goes on to say that very few would die for a righteous person. Who in the world would die for a bunch of sinners? (laughs) Jesus did it. We see in Romans chapter 10 that it's a faith commitment to Jesus that allows us to receive the free gift of salvation that provides for us new life both here and for all eternity. The Bible is one big story of God's salvation. Our deepest need, you can get all the great advice you want, and we can move through the remainder of the sermon. You write all those things down and understand. If you don't understand this morning that your deepest need is not just to live better, is not just to understand the world more, navigate it in a better way. Your deepest need is for salvation and new life that comes only through Jesus Christ and His cleansing power. If you miss that, all you've done is go to church. And I'm glad you're here. But if I don't give to you Jesus this morning, then I've given you nothing but some decent advice that might work tomorrow and will run out by Tuesday. Jesus himself must be who you surrender your life to for total cleansing, total salvation, and new life. Our deepest need is to be cleansed and forgiven of our sins so that we can be in right relationship with God. The scripture addresses that. Our deepest need. It also addresses our need for truth. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. We've we've looked at that the last few weeks. And is profitable, all right, here's the benefit, for teaching, it says. In a world where right and wrong seem to have no meaning, the Bible defines both of them very clearly for us. Regardless of what our world, our entertainers, our scientists, our politicians, or even our friends might say, there are some things that are always right and some things that are always wrong. And the Bible makes it very clear clear we don't have to be blown back and forth by whatever is current and popular we're always confused getting mixed messages the bible teaches us truth what is right and what is wrong when it says teaching it's talking about teaching us what is right and teaching us what is wrong the reason that some of us change what we believe on right and wrong depending on who we're around and what we're doing is because we don't know and believe the bible it's plain and simple The reason that truth in our world is driven by cultural trends or by instincts or by experiences is because, by and large, we don't know and don't believe the Bible. The Bible is the level. Some of you are good at building things. I figured I'd bring this back in. The Bible is the level that shows us what's not lined up. You're putting something together, you need it to be on the level. The Bible shows us what is on the level and shows us what is not on either side of it. And the Bible must be, let me tell you, if you're a Christian this morning, the Bible must be your standard for truth, period. I don't care what the world throws at you. I don't care what politicians or scientists or your friends or anybody else says. We must take by faith that the Bible is the source of absolute truth, and that is our level, period. So everything we think, everything we do, everything we respond to, every action and attitude must be lined up with the Scripture, or we are in error. Don't blame me. Blame God. He's the one who wrote it, and he's perfect. If you don't like what the Bible says, then don't shoot the messenger. Take it to the Lord, and I guarantee you, you won't get anywhere with him either. (laughs) The reason that we don't know what's right and what's wrong is because we don't understand and we don't believe the Bible. That's why our society is in the mess that it's in. Truth isn't that hard to find. God has given us an entire book full of it. You want to know what's true, what's right, and study the Bible. The Bible also addresses our need for conviction. Salvation, truth, conviction. He says it's profitable for teaching, and then he says what? For rebuking. What a great biblical word. For rebuking. I don't necessarily think when I am calling my children out on something they've done wrong is that I'm rebuking them. That's a great, that's a great word. I'm going to say it with a real deep voice. I rebuke thee in the name of Christ. You know, that's what you need to do with your children, you know. That's not what I exactly think of, but the idea of rebuking carries with it the the idea that that the Bible does expose our sin. Now, this is the hard part, I'll be honest with you. I like that teaching me right from wrong. I want to know what's right. Tell me what's true. And then Paul quickly gets to, well, it teaches you what's true, but it's going to call you out. It's going to expose where you've gone wrong. But don't we all need it? Many of us would rather avoid the Bible altogether because we know what we're going to find there. You realize that most of the time when you ask people for advice, all you're wanting them to do is just sort of affirm what you've already decided to do? it may be. Hey, what do you think about this? Well, you know, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, well, okay. You move on to somebody else who will actually affirm what you want, you know. The Bible's not going to do that for you. If you are in sin, the Bible is not going to confirm for you that that's okay. And praise God it doesn't. The Bible does not change, and it constantly exposes our sin. But, though it may feel like a home inspection. (laughs) You had one of those? They're looking for every little thing. Are you kidding me? We just had that fixed. You're not supposed to go in that room anyway. Who opened that door? But the Bible may feel like a home inspection, but it's not for the purpose of pouring on guilt and making you feel awful. The purpose is to expose those things so that you can be made right with God again. And if you don't know where you've gone wrong, how can you know where to go right? So the Bible will expose our sin, but the the Scripture makes it clear in Hebrews chapter 12 that God disciplines those He loves. That when He's chastising and calling you out, it's not because He wants to hammer you. It's because you're His child and He loves you and He does not want you to continue down that path. We see the conviction of God and we think, oh, you're just trying to make me feel guilty. You may come to church this morning, I don't know about that pastor because he's just calling people out. That's not my goal. Because the scripture calls us out to make us different and to bring us back to where God wants us to be. The Bible addresses that need for conviction. also addresses our need for wholeness. Look at verse 16, wholeness. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting. Now that word correcting there means to restore something back to the way that it's supposed to be. You knock something off a table and it breaks. When you put it back together, you are correcting it. Making sure that it functions the way that it's supposed to. The Christian person has been made new and set apart to be holy. And that's how God wants us to be. So after convicting us of sin, guess what the Bible helps us understand? How then God puts us back together and makes us whole again. We got some broken people this morning. There are some broken people in church. Now I'll move quickly across with my eyes so you don't think I'm talking to you, but you understand what I'm saying. There are broken people. Broken. You want to know how to be made whole again? You can search through every psychological book and television show you want to find. But until you go to the direct source of wholeness and completeness and correction, you'll never be made whole. Ever. Only God Himself, He may use other tools, but only God Himself, through what He's communicated in His Word and by the power of His Holy Spirit, can make you whole. That's it. You can run from God for the next 20 years trying to figure it out on your own, but you might as well get to the point where you submit to the Lord and say, God, you're my only Lord Jesus, I know you died to make me whole and teach me how to get there. Wholeness comes as it's addressed in the Scripture. So the Bible is not just about tearing us down, but about building us up. You see how it functions both ways, setting us back up when we fall. The Bible also addresses our need for guidance, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting. And then he says in verse 16, for training in righteousness. You say, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know how to live every single day. I would venture to say one of two things is true in your life, if that's what you're saying. Number one, you're ignorant of what the Bible says. Ignorant, not stupid, just you don't know. You have no idea what the Bible says. Or two, you're not willing to apply it. One of those two things. I hope that for the most part, I just don't know what it says. If that's the case, then the Bible will train you in righteousness, will give you directions and instruction And guidance, you don't have to go through life in the dark or making it up as you go along. You have a reliable guide from God himself, and he will teach you how to live as you interact with his word. There is no way to truly know how to live as a believer in Jesus unless you are consistently interacting with the Bible. There's no way. It's not going to happen. You can't come to church once a week and get enough from me. You've got to interact with God's word. And finally, the Bible addresses our need for preparation. Look at verse 17. Now, before you close everything up, you may want to write something else down here in just a minute. Our need for preparation. All Scripture is inspired by God, verse 16, profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Look at verse 17. So that the man of God, the, the believer, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul wants Timothy to know that he can, through the Scripture, have all he needs to fulfill the roles and the tasks that God lays before him. Because of what you learn in the Scripture, you can be complete and totally prepared for whatever it is that you'll face. All of the preparation, the knowledge, the skills that we need to spiritually navigate this world come from the Scripture. We all have the need to be prepared for things for some, this morning you say, "I'm not prepared for where I am. I have no clue what to do. I don't. I don't have any idea. I feel like that I'm just on my own. I'm a student, and I I don't have any clue how to live as a believer in Jesus Christ in my school. I go to work every day, and and I just I kind of put God on the shelf. I don't want to, but I just don't know how. I don't know what to do." Maybe you feel that God has called you to a specific task, and you say, I want to do that, but I just don't feel prepared. Or Maybe you're a spouse or a parent, and you're facing issues now that you've never faced before, and you say, I don't have a clue what to do with this. Or maybe you're counseling a friend, and you want to do right by God with them, but you just don't know where to start. The Bible addresses all those things, and those who interact with it will find themselves prepared for whatever task or role That God puts before you. Paul knew that Timothy was facing a godless world. So he tells him continue in the scripture. Paul knew that Timothy would need assurance of salvation. That he would need to stand on the truth. That he would need conviction when he sinned. That he'd need wholeness and guidance and preparation. So Paul says continue in the scripture. And the challenge is the same for us. As you leave here today. I want to challenge you to do two things. That's what I said. You might want to write this down. Two things. Here's your homework. You right? used to be a teacher. Here's your homework. Two things. First, I want you to interact with the Scripture this week with a new filter and a new expectation. A new filter. And when you look at the Scripture, here's for the folks who maybe you're you say, I'm not reading the Scripture right now or it's just stale to me. All right, Th- Those folks, here, here's what you do. A new filter. You take what Paul has said here and wh- why the Scripture is beneficial and you apply that To how you read the scripture so when you're going after that you read with this filter how does this relate to jesus and my need for him about salvation what truth can i learn from this scripture you see the filter you apply these questions what areas of sin and rebellion does this expose in me you approach the scripture that way how does this put me back together and make me whole what guidance does this give me for everyday life And how does this prepare me for the roles and the tasks that God has put before me? Now, if if reading the Bible is stale to you, if you've never done it before, that kind of filter is going to help. To approach it from those things you've got written on the back of your bulletin about salvation and so on and so forth. So that's the filter. The expectation would be that I go to the Scripture confident that the Bible meets my deepest needs. And so when I read it, I get the opportunity, I'm going to meet Jesus and I'm going to be reminded of the salvation that he's given me. You see the expectation? You go to the scripture, it's stale for you if you've never read it. I'm going to learn right and wrong from God himself. There is no greater source. My sin will be exposed so that it doesn't have to defeat me anymore. What a great expectation to go to the scripture. Through God's word, he will help me get back up when I fall to become the person that he wants me to be. Because Scripture is my guide, I don't have to make it up as I go. I approach the Scripture that way. I'm going to learn something. As I read the Bible, it will help me to know and understand and to apply everything I need for the roles and the tasks that God has given me. You take that filter, that expectation of the Scripture this week, and I guarantee you that you will have a different experience with the Scripture than you had in the past, whether you've not read it before whether it's stale. So that's the first thing. Approach Scripture with a different filter, different expectation. And then secondly... I want to challenge you to find a way to say thanks to those who have taught you the Scripture. I don't know who they are in your life. I really mean that, though. Think back and think hard. Who is it? Where was it? Maybe as a child or as a young person or a young adult or maybe in recent years, I don't know, but who is it that has poured into your life in a very personal way and taught you the Scripture? And, and how can you say thanks to them? Those two things. Approach the scripture with that new filter, that new expectation. And say thanks this week to somebody who's taught you the scripture. Praise God for that person who showed you the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. Pointed you to the ultimate truth of salvation in Him alone. Let's pray together. God, we say thanks for your word this morning, for the great benefit that it is to us. We thank you that it addresses all of our needs. And Lord, I pray specifically for those who are in need this morning of salvation, the need to be cleansed of sin and given new life. And I pray their response this morning would be one of complete faith and surrender to their Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we find in the Bible that great story of your salvation that you did not withhold even your only son and sent him as our substitute giving his life for ours becoming sin on our behalf the Bible says so that we might be made the righteousness of God Lord this morning may we take on your life and surrender ours to you help us Lord this week to approach your word with a new filter a new expectation Make it come alive, we pray, Lord. And God, help us to be reminded to say thanks to those who for so many years have poured into us and taught us your word. We pray in Jesus' name.